Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of the Deeper Call Podcast. I am your host, Ashley Neese, and I am so grateful that you are tuning in. After taking a much-needed break, I am excited to be sharing the podcast again, and I'm looking forward to the incredible guests we have lined up this season. In today's episode, I'm inviting you into my vulnerable, heartfelt conversation with licensed family and marriage therapist, Dr. Sahar Martinez. Together, we share many tender emotional moments as we explore how internal family systems work can heal ourselves and our families. I wanted to have Sahar on the podcast because she works with one of my favorite therapeutic modalities, IFS, and because I have been following her work for years and feel a strong connection to how she lives, works, parents, and shows up in the world. Throughout the conversation, we explore grief, love, parts work integration, and generational healing. Being in the presence of Sahar was such a healing experience. Because she truly lives this work, I felt safe with her, which opened us up to such a vulnerable conversation, one that is continuing to shape my life today. In this episode, Sahar shares that all feelings are okay. All parts of you are welcome. All versions of you are celebrated and accepted. Just hearing that, again, gives my body more space to exhale. This isn't about getting it perfect or being right all the time. It's about allowing ourselves and each other grace in the process of becoming more and more of who we are meant to be. I truly hope that this episode supports you. With gratitude, Ashley. First off, I just want to say thank you so much, Sahar, for agreeing to be in conversation with me today. I am so excited to connect with you and jump in with you. I have been studying IFS and somatic work for many years, and I feel like there's this beautiful synergy between somatics and IFS that is so has helped me so much. I feel like IFS has brought me deeper into my body in so many ways and has really supported that somatic work. And, you know, for those who don't know, IFS is a model that I've talked about on the show before, Internal Family Systems, developed by Dick Schwartz. It's a really incredible kind of psychodynamic therapeutic model, and it can ha- has so many wonderful implications. But yeah, I'm just really looking forward to diving in with you about that today, because I know you work in somatics, and I know you work in IFS. And besides that, I've just been following you and your practice for so many years and your family. So I'm just... I feel like I said this before, but this conversation has been such a long time coming. And so I'm just so excited to be able to drop in with you today. So thank you for saying yes. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm so excited to be in conversation with you. As I mentioned before, the kind of first piece that I wanted to jump in with you about is something that our oldest son, Solomon, who just turned five, said to me the other day. And you know, I'm sure those listening to our parents, this is, it's so intense, like watching our kids grow up and then having, you know, big feelings, for example. And so we, for those of you who don't know, I'm also a foster parent and we've had some foster kids with us over the last four or five months. And one of them just got moved a week ago and he'd been with us for four months and he and my son Solomon had been sharing a room together and sharing all their toys and all the things, you know, Solomon would get up in the morning and help him get dressed and just all this stuff. So they were really, really connected. And there were so many hard moments, but so many beautiful moments as well. And so he's gone. And so for the last week, Solomon has been 
having such a hard time. I mean, it's such a huge transition for him and he's really struggling to navigate it. And so a lot of stuff is coming out for him. He's angry, he's frustrated, he's, you know, disappointed. He misses, he really misses this kid so much. And he's taking out everything on his little brother, you know, through hitting and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And so, you know, and my partner, Nick, and I do a lot of IFS work with him. And so we've, he's been able to identify this part as a monster. And so the monster even has a voice and has like a color. It has like a whole thing that he gets into. But he said to, he said this to me and he said this to Nick the next day. He said, I just want to make this part go away. And there was something that was just so, heartbreaking about that. And also something that was just so illuminating for me as an adult, (laughs) as his, as his mother, but also as an adult woman to go, yeah, I still have, I still have moments where I'm like, I wish this part of me would just go away. I wish I could just get rid of this part of myself. If I just keep avoiding this part of myself, well, then it go away, you know? And so that's really where I want to start with you because I just know that you're going to have so much experience and wisdom to share on this, but it's less of a question and more of just the starting place of like, how do we as adults, kids are not no kids, but just really work towards integration of our parts instead of just always wanting to get rid of them. You know, the thing that comes up for me is that your son is navigating grief. He is figuring out what this loss feels like for him. And he's identifying all of the parts of it, right? The anger, the sadness, the loneliness, you know, and there's a container for that. And most of us want to get rid of grief as soon as it comes up, right? Because it's a feeling that is overwhelming and it's pervasive and it takes over and we don't like it. And so in IFS and in parts work, the goal is never to get rid of a part. The goal is always to learn how to be in relationship with our parts. And so when Solomon says, I just want this part to go away, immediately what comes up for me is like, I get that. And is there a way that we can look at this part and say, you're doing a really good job at your job. And how can I relate to you? How can I be in relationship with you? Because it's protective, right? He's five. So the understanding that he has is that this child that came into his home and she shared a room with very much took a role of a sibling for him. And now that sibling is gone. And so I wonder if there is a part of him that's like, will my little brother also leave at some point? And so now I want to protect myself against feeling this again. So I'm going to lash out at him. I'm going to be angry with him. Maybe I'm going to be angry that he's still here and my friend isn't here anymore. All of those feelings are valid. In the same way that when we have parts as adults that come up and we're like, oh my God, I just want to not feel this way anymore. I don't want this part to be here anymore. If we can take a step back and really look at what that part is trying to tell us, what it's trying to communicate to us, what what is the work that it's doing? Because it's working. It's working really hard. And can we have an understanding of that work? We don't have to like it. We totally don't have to like it. But we can try to understand it. And understand the purpose around it. And sometimes when we get that understanding or just access that knowledge because it lives within all of us, we have more capacity and we have more space to say, okay, you can stay. And also, maybe you don't need to work this hard. Everything that you're saying is really landing with me. 
when you've started in with grief, I mean, that's such a huge part of it. It's a huge part of it for all of us because it's, it's a shift, you know, for every single person in our home and in that kind of family nervous system, for lack of a better word, it's just that system has changed now, you know, and there's no denying that each child that comes through our home, no matter how long they stay, is changing all of us. You know, <laughs> They're changing all of us in, in so many different ways. And for Solomon, I think that, yeah, that's just, that's really it. It's giving that space and really looking at that protection. It's like, what that, I love that question. What is this protecting? Why is it protecting this? And really sitting with that. And I think that that's often for me, that's like that next question and that next layer that is, it's harder to get to, you know, it's almost like because of the way that my nervous system is shaped and because of my history, it's like, just the, like, let's just put that aside and kind of try to bury that and just hope that it never comes back out. And of course it comes out sideways every time, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't disappear as much as I would like yeah. it to. Right. But that, that, that holding and that capacity question, and this is something that I've been thinking a lot about too, just culturally, you know, in the U S like how there's so much, there's so much around goodness and there's so much around not hurting anyone. And there's so much around, you know, doing quote unquote, the right thing and not being bad. And as a parent, I think that's something that I sit with a lot too. It's like Solomon's acting out. And then, you know, based on how I was raised, it's like my go-to is like, let's just shame this out of him now you know, and that's, that's not it. Like, that's not how I want a parent. That's not, that didn't really work well for me, but it's also, that's not it because then it's like, okay, then we're just saying there's no space for that. There's no space for all of you here. And, you know, as I sit and listen to you, I can't help but think like, is, and this is, I have no answer here, but just, I'm sitting with this question of like, what is unconditional love? Doesn't that mean accepting all of our parts? Potentially. Yes. And I think the concept of unconditional love is really nuanced and complicated because we all have conditions. Yes, we do. We have so not many. Based off of our own lived experiences, yes. you know, with so many. And so I can look at my kids and literally say, I would do anything for them and mean that. And I know on some days, and this is hard to admit, on some days it feels really hard. It feels really, really hard to love without condition because I am tapped out or they're struggling and it activates my stuff or whatever it is. And it feels really, really hard. And so I think that the desired outcome can't be perfection. Like it can't be, I have to get it right every single time. It just has to be, I have to do my best and I have to repair when I rupture. Uh. Yeah, what you just shared, I had some tears well up in my eyes because I definitely have a part that is like really, really clings to that desired outcome being perfection, even though there's other parts that know that like that's not even possible. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I know the attachment research, I, I get that like repair is so important, but it's like it's so hard in those moments and it's hard to sit with like when I'm you know, showing up in a way, and I don't even want to say it's showing up. I feel like when I'm actually showing up, I can kind of reach through whatever exhaustion or whatever it is to like really step in. And other times I just, I can't get myself there for whatever reason. It's just, I just can't do it in that moment. And I think that's where it's still really tough for me because I have those moments and I'm like, oh, instead of saying, hey, if you don't stop doing X, this is what's going to happen. Like, this is the consequence of you acting out when actually you're just acting out because you're grieving. You know what I mean? It's so, 
oh, just sitting with that is so intense as a parent. It's and just as another human because this is not just how we show up for our kids. It's like this is how we show up for everyone. I don't, I don't subscribe to the belief that like it's different somehow somewhere else. And though I might not use those words with adults, I might not say if you don't stop this, I'm going to do X. You know, I wouldn't say that to an adult. But there's there's other ways that those shows up. It's like you just said that so beautifully. There's other conditions. You set a boundary. Yeah, you set that boundary. Like I don't have time to hear this right now. I don't have the bandwidth, whatever that is. But when you have a dependent living with you, it's like you know, it could be go to your room, but that's also boundaries are also necessary in that space. Yes. Yes even with our kids, you know, because it gives them permission to set boundaries. This is something that my partner and I have really worked on a lot. Like we're not, and I know everyone's different. There's no judgment about anything or what I'm saying doesn't mean anything about what somebody else is doing. Just for those listening who are like, I put my kid in timeout. I put my kid in, in their room or whatever. We just don't do that because of our own histories and our own traumas of like being kind of locked away. But I'm recognizing that it's it's so much about this parenting thing is really about me. It's not about you stop that behavior and you go to your room. It's like, wait, I need a timeout. I'm actually the one who needs like to give myself a minute. I need to go to my room or I need to just step outside or I need to go to this side of the room and just do a breathing practice because I have that in my nervous system and just reach for that, access that, whatever it is, have a sip of water, whatever it is that I need to do to get myself reorganized. And I think therein lies the shift too, because for me, it's like so much of my life in this, like in all these codependent relationships and always trying to get other people to change. It's like a lot of that just transferred onto my children. It's like, oh, if they will just be different, then I will be okay. It's like, no, no, I'm the one who needs to change again. Kids become that mirror for us where it really, you cannot, we cannot hide from our own stuff once we have kids. And that is a really, it's really hard to face. And it's part of parenthood that no one really prepares you for. And that like, it's going to surface all of your own stuff. And you're going to have to figure out how to move through it while you're also parenting young kids. And it's almost an impossible ask to say, hey, keep your nervous system regulated while also being a present parent, while also unconditionally loving, while also having the capacity to do all of the things that you know is makes you quote unquote good. And then don't be burnt out by the end of the day so you can do it again the next day. Like it's not real, you know? Oh my God, because yeah, and there's also work and there's also cooking and there's also cleaning and there's also like feeding the animals or whatever, tending to aging parents or whatever the thing is, you know? It's like, there's also all that. There's also life to live, right? There's life. There's also like injustice and like climate and just everything. It's like, this is, there's so much happening all the time. And I loved the way you framed that. And then it's like at the end of the day, just try not to like collapse, you know, or get totally burnt out. And really what I'm tapping into and talking to you right now too, is just feeling that part, like the pressure cooker, the pressure is so intense on so many levels. And sometimes it does pop off like in a relationship or for me with my partner or with one of my kids. And like you mentioned before, it it is the, the repair is so huge and I often think about that too in my own life. Like, gosh, if I had even my partner and I joke about this, but we're like, God, if we'd even just like one repair, literally just one, like, what would that have done? You know, and I feel like we're doing repairs all the time and not as an excuse for quote unquote poor behavior, but just really as a like, hey, you know, I really didn't want to show up like that. Like, that wasn't. And it's like Solomon, our oldest, he's so 
like keyed into the repair now and he's so used to it, you know, that he's just like, yeah, you know, I know it's not my fault or I see that you're trying or whatever it is. It's like he responds in these ways. Like, I know you love me and I know that, you know, this is what's going on. I know you're exhausted or whatever. And I know that it's not what I'm doing. It's like, this is about you. And having a kid that can at that age, like already start learning how to differentiate is so huge because that's also been such a, was such a massively missing piece for me growing up. Like there's no, it's just so much enmeshment, you know, there's no differentiation. There's no like, I'm over here and you're over here. It's like, no, no, we're all just this one big, you know, it's like Nick and I always joke about this. We come from big Jewish families, but it's like this big Jewish just mess of like everyone's meddling and everyone's in everyone's business. And like, you know, if you do something, there's a whole phone tree about it later. And like, oh, did you hear so-and-so did X, Y, and Z? It's like, oh my God. Okay. You know, it's like the triangulation is so intense. And so to be, and I love that this is a huge part of your work too, Sahar. And I'd love for you to touch on this. It's like those generational cycles and that shifting all of those pieces too is is also a lot. I think that our generation, and I say that in like those of us who are now parenting, right? I think we're the ones, the first ones that have really understood that we have permission to not continue the generational traumas that we have carried, you know, for so long, that we have permission to do the work around it to change for our kids. Because I think up until us, there was this idea of like you just had to fall in line, especially coming from collectivistic cultures, because there's so much richness in the culture, right? And there's so much that you want to bring from the culture that is so valuable. And there is a way to parse through like the things that you want to take and the things that you're like, okay, we're going to really work hard to not do that anymore. I would be lying if I said that I, there wasn't a part of me that was relieved that I had sons and not daughters, knowing what it was like to be a girl being raised in my culture and in my family. It was really hard. And I came from like a generation of women upon generations of women. And that was very, very challenging. And so I had sons and there was a part of me that's like, oh, they won't have the same, we won't have to deal with the same things that I had to deal with. And I now have the responsibility of raising sons. And so there has to be change created around how I do that in order for it to kind of fold into what the ethos of my family is, you know, and what our goals are like for me and my husband and what's important to us and what's important to us on a larger scale. And so I think that like when we look at generational stuff, whether it's the generational hardships that our communities and our families have sustained, or it's the generational celebrations that we want to continue on, it's really important to look at it as whole as we can. What is the context of this? What does this mean for me personally? What does it mean for me to heal from this and to not continue this on for my own children? Sometimes there, even in the things that we want to let go of, there's grief in that and there's loss in that. And we have to acknowledge those parts too, those parts that really want to resist the change that are just like, no, but this is what we do. We fall in line. This is how we honor our family. This is how we stay connected. And to heal those parts that come up and those uh, narratives that surface and say, we're still connected and we get to do this our own way. And that's okay. What you're saying is really bringing something up in me, this, this notion of making the choices that you and your husband are making, your family are making around what do we want to continue? What do we want to leave here, right? <laughs> in, our, our, in our generation. 
And I think that's, that's an area where I'm, I'm continually, I don't know if struggle is the right, right word, but where there's just, there continues to be quite a bit of tension in, in my life around, you know, especially certain family members, because I have, especially since becoming a mom, like I am not falling in line in so many ways. And it is, you know, the grief piece that you mentioned has been so huge. It continues to be huge, especially with, you know, holidays and different celebrations and different rituals. It's like, oh, are we going to go to that thing? Because then there's going to be so and like all these other people there. And like, do I want to do how much work do I want to be doing? How much emotional labor do I want to be showing up for? And if I can't get if I can't get myself to a place where I where I feel like I won't be completely drained after from having to work so hard, then I'm probably going to continue to sit it out. And I think that that's, that's been a big goal of mine just personally is like, how can I learn to be around certain members of my family and not feel so exhausted? And I don't, it's like, it's been this goal, but then there's another part of me that's like, is it even possible? You know, I think that's a really young, young one who's asking that question. Like, I know it's not me in present age. It's this really young one that just, I'm feeling emotional now, but just like, there's so much that is, there's just so much that's missed, you know, and there's so much that I miss, but it's also like, I have to get so clear that like what I miss isn't real. Like so much of what I miss is a fantasy of like what I thought it was or what I want it to be. And I think that that is so. Like that's just been such a big pain point for me to just really sit with like, actually what I want is the family that I'm creating right now with my partner and with our kids and their, and their rituals and the things that we're doing. And I love it when other members of my family can show up in service of that and support of that. And so often they can't. Yeah. And that's painful. Can I ask a question about that young part that just came up? <laughs> sure. Does she know the life that you are actively creating with your partner? Yeah, that's such a good question. Like, as I like tap into her, she's like in two worlds. It's like part of like, there's, there's like a little bit of her that knows that, but there's another part of her that is still longing. And I'm, as, as I'm saying that, I'm just recognizing this whole other layer, like, there's a way that certain parts are still kind of like protecting me from what I have right now that are still like not fully letting it in. If that makes sense. Absolutely. It's like, there's still these ways that parts of me keep my family and my kids like at some kind of a, just like some kind of like safe distance. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Because that's what those parts are there to do. They're there to keep you safe. And distance is safety. And you've worked so hard. Present you has worked so hard to ensure that your space, your family, all of it is safe for you and for them. Right? And the them is the collective. It's all the parts. It's your kids. It's your partner. It's the land you live on, it's its all of it, right? Like you've done that work. The work now is to let those parts know that they are invited into this space. There's a place for them here. And you've created that place. You've created your own safety. You've resourced it. You continue to nurture it. 
And I think like this is some this is like some of the most profound work that we do in this kind of work is in like that invitation to those parts that are still hurting, that are still holding their roles, right, to protect us, whether it's keeping us at a distance or, you know, whatever it is, and say, I so appreciate the work that you're doing and you don't have to work so hard anymore. As I'm sitting here, I'm just noticing I'm feeling a deeper breath. I'm feeling some expansion in my like abdomen and belly and even like a slight shift in my jaw. Yeah, there's something about that. It's like there's this like holding in that protection. There's a holding. And Nick had said something to me the other day because our little one's in who's going to be two next month is he's still having some night terrors and still just kind of struggling at night. And so I've been up at different hours of the night with him. And I keep saying, I'm like, it's my, it's my tiredness. Like, that's why I'm on edge. And, and sure, that's definitely part of it. Like, of course, but there's this other piece that's coming out right now, sitting with you. That's like, oh, actually part of why I'm on edge, part of that contraction is these parts that are just still in this like protective mode. Like they're so contracted and I'm just so grateful for you (laughs) in this moment right here with you. And just that your question and your inquiry of like, have, I haven't invited them in. Like when I was saying they, they're and in that's, two actually, that's okay. <laughs> it's okay that you haven't invited them in. It's totally okay. Their time will come. Yeah. Yeah. Can I share a personal experience with you? Is that okay? Please. Some of the most vulnerable and I hate using this word, but I'm going to use it like the most vulnerable and triggering parts of motherhood for me have been in those middle of the night, like sitting with my baby or my toddler, or even like my kids are six and eight. And I was up with my eight year old for most of the night last night. And there is something about the inability to really hide at 3am because you have to just be there, right? Like all of those points have goosebumps as I'm saying this. All of those parts that work so hard every other hour of the day, like it's really hard to access those for me when it's the middle of the night and I'm tired and I'm watching my baby, whether he's an eight-year-old baby, a six-year-old baby, you know, a three-year-old baby, whatever, need me and me like really wanting to be there for him, like hold him, make it better, whatever it is, and also struggle with parts of me that want to keep me safe. You know, or the parts of me that come up that are like, why do you, why do you, as in my kid, get to have like this nurturing space and so many other people don't? You know, or why do you get to have this nurturing space and I maybe I wasn't nurtured in the way that I needed to be nurtured as a kid? And those things like make it those those sleepless nights, like even more difficult. Right. And it's really easy to blame it on the tiredness. I'm someone who's always like, I don't do well on not a lot of sleep, but the reality of it is, is that I don't do well with the emotional labor of not a lot of sleep because those nights for me, like require so much and they bring up so much. And even now, like on a night where I haven't really slept, like I know that I have to be like so gentle and soft with myself the next day because it's almost like I have 
like an emotional tenderness that is really hard to describe. That like I have to really, really ease myself into the day and make sure that it is a soft landing in order to kind of like reintegrate with how I'm feeling and like being present in my world. Hey, Ashley here. If you're looking for more ways to deepen your practice and continue the conversation, I invite you to join our amazing community over on Substack. In this offering, I share my most personal writing using the lens of my life to model vulnerability, curiosity, and living as a practice. You can also expect themes connected to transformation, nature, parenting, creativity, and rest. I love pouring my heart into our bi-monthly essays and connecting with each of you in a more intimate way. When you sign up for a paid subscription to my Substack, you also receive an exclusive solo podcast episode each month, where I dive deep into a topic suggested by a paid subscriber, access to community threads where you get to meet each other, as well as the full archive of essays and workshop replays. I appreciate your presence and hope to see you in the Deeper Call community. You can find a link to subscribe in the show notes below. Now, let's get back to the conversation. You just very beautifully and clearly articulated an experience that I've had so many nights. And yeah, just the way you said it, it just really landed with me so deeply. And I think there's been some part of me that's been so, I don't know if it's like full of shame and embarrassment or just even frustration with myself because so often, like you, there's like, there's, there's just, it's nuanced and there's like complexity there and there's richness there. There's like, the moment of my kid waking me up and of course wanting to like take care of him and hold him and do what he needs, whatever it is that he needs. And then the complicated feelings of often for me, it's anger. There's just so much anger and like frustration and like, fuck, I just want to sleep or like, I don't want to do this. But then it's like what you just said actually take, took it for me a, la- a layer deeper. Cause it's like, Oh, it's actually that emotional labor piece <laughs> that is just, that's the piece. It's not necessarily the tiredness and what you just shared and your personal experience just is such a gift because it's so, it's so easy for me to just keep saying that it's the tiredness and it's the tiredness. But I think internally and deep down, I know it's like, it's actually not bad. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah, I'm curious for you kind of going back just a little bit around those, you know, rituals or those aspects from your family that you want to carry forward and like how you're showing up in that work. I would love to hear more about that from you. I'm really fortunate in the sense of like my parents, my parents are immigrants from Iran and they worked really hard in order to create a family for myself and my sister that like celebrated who we are and who we were. And they did it to the best of their ability. They didn't get it perfect you know, but they, it was really important for them for us to figure out who we are and what our needs were and then to go after that. And so that is something that's incredibly important to me when it comes to my own kids is that in honoring who they are as individuals and for them to feel reflective of only themselves, you know, and I think culturally from my family, like from my culture, it's a lot of like you are your father and mother's daughter. And they are their father and mother's daughter, and so on and so forth. And 
I don't want that for my kids. Like I want them to just be who they are. And if they want to identify as, you know, the child of me and their dad, that would be great. And also that's okay if they don't, like they can just be who they are. Outside of that, like I grew up very, very connected to my like extended family. And so that is something that is really important to me. I have a handful of first cousins that I'm incredibly, they're like my sisters I'm incredibly close with. And like, we're on a group text together. We travel together once a year. They're aunts to my kids. Like they are really my lifelines in a lot of ways. And carrying that on for my children is like, that is a non-negotiable. So like my kids are very close to my sister's kids. My kids are very close to my cousin's daughter. And, you know, as my cousins continue, if they choose to continue to have kids, like that will be something that we nurture on an ongoing basis. All the other stuff, like the drama of it all, like the drama of having large families, right? Like that I want to opt out of. I don't want anything to do with that. And I know it's, you know, it comes with it, but those are things where I'm like, I'm not available for that. Like, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. I'm a direct person. Like if I have an issue, I'm going to come to you directly. I'm not going to talk to the whole family about it. So I think, you know, navigating that, like when it comes to my family and then also like looking at my husband's family and also making sure that like my kids, like when they talk about their cousins, they're also including like my sister-in-law's kids, you know? And so for me, it's like when I talk about having sisters, like my sister-in-law is my sister, you know, her kids, they're like my kids, you know what I mean? And so I want my kids to know that there is like no divide between like their mom's side of the family and their dad's side of the family. Like we're all family, right? Like, and I think that to me is like the most important thing is like in identifying that I come from a collectivistic culture, I want to continue that through line for my kids where they feel like they're a part of a community. And I also want them to know that their community is determined by who they want to be a part of it, who they invite to be a part of it. So it's not to be determined for them. You know, I want them to be close with their cousins. If they grow up and they're like, yeah, we hate our cousins. We don't want to be close with them. That's their choice. Like, I'm not going to like it, but it's going to be their choice. But I want them to look and say, like, I have a solid support system in any way that I need, right? Like, if I want to go talk to my aunts, I can go talk to my aunts. If I want to go talk to my cousins, I can talk to my cousins. If I want to go talk to my mom's best friend, who is like not blood related to us, but is like an aunt to us, like, I want to go to her. You know, my kids are incredibly close with my parents. And I recognize that that is something that they won't have forever. My parent, my dad's almost 80. And they won't have him forever. And I recognize that. And I also want them to feel that connection forever, whether or not, you know, he's here with us. And so being intentional about giving my kids the opportunity to have relationships nurtured, you know, with them knowing that it's not their responsibility, that it's available to them. You know, so it's like, it's not their responsibility to nurture a relationship with their grandparents or their aunts and uncles or their cousins. And there is an opportunity because the people that we invite in are willing to do that legwork to have a relationship with my kids. And that's really what it's about. You know, like I don't want them to feel a sense of, oh, like I didn't hug Papa when I went over to their house and now Papa's mad at me. Like, I don't want that. I want them to feel like I want to go and say hi to Papa and maybe today I give him a high five instead of a hug and that's also okay which like culturally from my culture, like we were required to hug and kiss everybody. And it was a part of my childhood that I really hated. And so the things like like, consent is a big conversation in our house. 
and you are allowed to consent to what you want and you're allowed to, you know, you're allowed to say no to what you don't want. And that is across the board. That is like when you're playing with your friends, when you're going to a family gathering, you you have to say hi to people. Like that's polite. You don't have to touch anybody and no one is allowed to touch you unless you want to, you know? And so I think it's just like nurturing these conversations, having availability to talk, to talk through things and nothing is off limits. You know, those are the things that I like, I really cherished about my own childhood that like I could go to my mom or my dad and really ask any question and they would sit down and have a conversation with me and not just be like, this is not for you. You're not old enough. Like they would figure out a way to talk to me about things and really treated me like an equal that I want to continue on for my kids. I'm just feeling like all the, like the breadth of that ecosystem and all the connections and and just how incredible to have like such a support and all these ways. And there's, there's so many things, Sahar, that you said that just really struck me. One was this piece around, you know, really letting your kids know that these, these certain relationships are not their responsibility. Like I definitely had a light bulb moment, like, wait, what? Like it's not theirs to carry. You know, I think, you know, the part of me that always heard like, go do this or go call your grandpa or go, it's all this stuff, you know, from such an early age. Yeah, that was just really incredible to hear. I think all my young parts were like, yes, yes, I love that. And, you know, the the consent piece is so huge for us too. And I'm really glad that you brought that up. And that is something that, you know, also in my family, I mean, we had, like, if you didn't do certain things with my, if you didn't like hug my grandfather, like you weren't allowed in the house. Like literally I'd have some of my cousins who just were like, I'm not going to hug him. And they would sit outside. <laughs> so, you know, it sounds like now I'm, I'm laughing mostly because I'm uncomfortable saying that out loud, but it's also just, it's so intense. And, you know, I remember years ago, this was when Solly was, he had just turned two and we took him home and I kind of prepared my family in the best way I could, you know, and I think on an intellectual level, they could understand like, okay, just so you know, we're practicing consent. And they're like, he's two. I'm like, yes, he's two. And if he wants to hug or doesn't want to hug, it's his choice. And they're, you know, and they're all, everyone's kind of going, okay, okay. But then they get around him and it's like so hard. And I remember having to navigate a couple of really uncomfortable conversations, but I also remember having this one conversation with one of my aunts that was so powerful because she was really struggling around this and really like wanted to, you know, hug Solomon and, you know, just kind of be in his space energetically. And I was like, he just needs more space. If you give him space, he will come to you. He actually wants to come to you. I was like, but he's the kind of kid that is, is really discerning. He needs to like go into a room and just take a minute and get oriented and like see all the new faces. And just like, once he gets comfortable, like he's, he'll be fine. I was like, but he can't have all these people he doesn't know just bum rushing him to try to like hug him and all this stuff. It's just not, you know, also not what he's used to because that's not how we do things at home. And, you know, and she was really trying. And then, you know, I pulled her aside at one point to talk to her. And it was so intense, Sahar, because it was like this moment of that intergenerational piece where she was saying to me, you know, I think one of my kids was actually a lot like Solomon, but I wasn't able to say anything to my parents. And it was just this moment of like, oh, wow. Wow. How incredible that she was able to identify that. Right? It was so amazing. It was a conversation I'll never forget just the way she looked at me. And she was like, yeah, I just, and she said, I remember like having this dinner with my parents and her husband's parents and, you know, and basically it's like a whole round table. It's like the whole situation. Everyone's like, oh, you're wrong. Everyone's trying to convince her of all these things. And, 
And it wasn't even about the like, oh, my family's so bad and look at, you know, how they made her feel. It was just really that like heart to heart, like mother to mother conversation with her. And, you know, this is a woman I've known my whole life. I was the flower girl in her wedding. And, you know, she would come up from Atlanta when I was little and like take care of me when my mom would go out of town. You know, it was just, she's always been in my corner, just always been in my corner. I can call her for anything. And, but yeah, just to hear her say that to me was just so deeply impactful. And it gave me so much perspective. I think so often too, in this work, I can feel, I think this is just Again, it's like it's it can be a cultural piece too, but it can just feel so like I'm just this individual. It's like all the individualism and I'm just alone doing this thing. But then it's like, no, there's this whole family system here and like this is what she went through and this is what she wasn't able to navigate, but then I get to navigate it and then she gets to do something different. Like she gets to have this kind of repair with Solomon in this way that is so yeah, it's just so profound and so incredible. I think those things sometimes I get freaked out or scared around bringing things up with people. But then it just, it's like that conversation is such a beautiful reminder that sometimes I don't know what direction it's going to go in. And sometimes I don't know who I might help or support by what I have to bring up, even if it's uncomfortable in the moment. This is the part of like generational healing that I think we don't address enough is that the generational healing goes in both directions. So we do the work like for the, our kids and the generations that come after us. And by doing the work, we're also then informing the generations that came before us that there was a different way to do it. And just in them identifying that and then moving forward in a different way, like now your aunt will engage differently with Solomon, which will create repair for her and also maybe for her kid. I see it in my mind as like this comet that has two tails, you know? It expands in both directions. And it's such a beautiful part of this work is that like we're we're not only doing it for the generations that come after us, we're doing it for our present and we're doing it for our past. Mm. I love that. And I love the image of the comet with two sides. And I think it's just so important what you're saying too. Like I noticed that often, especially with young kids, my orientation is I think I was kind of oriented this way before I had kids, if I really think about it, but my orientation is often towards the future. You know, it's kind of present future, present future. And when it's past, it's often more around pain or, you know, trying to heal something or whatever it is, reckon with something. But there's also something so like kind of just beautiful and poetic about what you're sharing that this healing goes in different directions. And yeah, I think that gives me this this other feeling too and this curiosity like, oh, I wonder what our kids are going to share with us that has the potential to heal because I know that as much as I'm working so hard and, and not about, I know I have parts that want me to do everything right, but like those parts aside, I know that there's ways that, you know, I've, I can and will hurt. Like that's just, I'm human. And also to know there might be a moment at some point in the future when one of my kids is like, hey, in fact, as I'm thinking about it now, it's actually already happened with Solomon. He said a few things to me over the last year now that he's just getting so much kind of deeper in, in his process work too. He can just say, hey, mom, like, are you mad at me right now? Or did you mean to say that? Or like, why are you raising your voice? It's like, oh, <laughs> you know, and I feel like that's a whole nother layer of, oh, I'm really being seen right now. <laughs> like someone, my kid is really seeing me. And isn't this humbling, but also isn't this so incredible that like, 
that he can say that. I mean, I would never say that to my parents. Like when I was a kid, I was like, oh my God, terrifying. <laughs> like you just don't. Like that's just not even something I would even think to say. No, I would internalize it. I would think it, but I would internalize it. You know, and like your kid is saying that to you. My one of my kids, I can't remember which one it was. A couple months ago, my husband and I were like, we're doing, we were doing that thing where we were arguing, but we were like arguing in nice voices because the kids were. We were like, oh, it was over breakfast, and I was like, you know, well, you did this thing, and he's like, okay, great. Like we're just being sarcastic towards one another because we were both irritated. And one of my sons was like, oh, you're like very mad at dad right now. And I (laughs) looked at him. We both looked at him. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, oh, you're like big mad. And I was like, wow, okay. And he totally called me out. And it it really lightened the mood. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm irritated. But like, and my husband came over and we like hugged and it was fine. It was like not a big deal. But I reflect, I still reflect back on that moment where I was like, I never would have had the guts to say that to my parents, ever. Like, I just would have been like, oh my gosh, mom and dad are fighting and this is so awkward and I want to be invisible right now. I don't want to be a part of this. And my kid was just like, oh no, I'm calling you guys all the way out. Like, I am completely going to just put language to what I'm seeing happen in real time. And it was really cool. There was like a bravery in that, you know, and also just like a reassurance to me where I'm like, oh, you're not afraid to say that because you're not afraid that like, we're going to say something back to you because you've called us out or you've acknowledged you just not even call that you've acknowledged what's happening in front of your face. You're not going to get in trouble for that. We're just going to be like, you know what? Yeah. Like I am really annoyed with your dad right now when it's fine. And then we're going to hug in five seconds and kiss in front of you. And it's going to be fine. Yeah. It's the, it's the bravery piece. That's so it, the bravery piece and the comfort like that he was able to trust And like you said, just name what's happening. Like, this is what's happening in the field right now. This is what's happening in the room. This is what I'm seeing. And how that, to kind of go back to IFS language, I just feel that 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 came from self. And there's something that I always hear in IFS that I love. It's like self begets self and how that self energy comes in. And then it's like, oh, okay. And then how that can reorient things in this beautiful way. And oh gosh, yeah. 100%. Right? (laughs) So much about, like the work that I'm leaning into as a parent and the work that I'm wanting to do. It's like, yes, there's so many moments when I'm not showing up and kind of, I'm showing up on my parts. I'll just say that. Like I'm showing up on my parts and I'm not showing up in self. And then we do the repair, but it's like how beautiful when our kids can show up in self and just be like, oh, okay. It's just, it touches so many layers and parts of me and just makes me feel, I don't know, the sense of like, like joy and hope. I think the most important thing that I take with me into parenting every day is that I don't ever want my kids to feel like they are going to be punished for how they feel. And that, you know, and that goes across the spectrum. If you are frustrated, if you're angry, if you're happy, if you're joyful, if you're feeling excited, I want them to be able to feel the way that they feel. And then I want to have a conversation with them if something that they're doing is maybe activating towards someone else in our house, right? Like I'm sensitive to loud noises. I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. Their like goal in life is to be as loud as possible. That is, you know, just the way that it is. And so be loud, go outside and be loud, you know, like I just got home from work. I'm tired. I don't want to, you know, and I'll explain to them, like, I'm tired. I want to wind. This is my time to wind down. 
you can go upstairs and be loud. You can go in the other room and be loud. You can go outside and be loud. Or maybe we can save being loud for tomorrow. You know, but I don't want them ever to feel like, oh, I feel this way and it's bad or I'm bad or like internalize a negative association with feeling, just any feeling. And to know that like all feelings are okay. All parts of you are welcome. All versions of you are celebrated and accepted. And we also have to learn that like we have to figure out how to be in relationship with other people, like as we're all living together and what that means without having to compromise like who you authentically are. There's just when I'm hearing you say that, I'm just, I'm feeling so much grace and so much spaciousness and also this cooperation because that's also what it is. They're all, li- we're all living together in this space. And at a certain point, I feel like, and we're kind of modeling that and sharing that with our kids, even as young as they are with Zen. It's like, okay, we're going to practice like picking up our toys when we're done playing with them. And yeah, is he going to pick up every toy? Like, no way. He's two. You know, is he going to get distracted in 10 seconds after putting two toys in a basket and go take something off, off a shelf? Yes, of course he is. You know what I mean? Of course. And it's just these little tiny moments, like what's appropriate, but just really teaching. Like, this is this is what it's like to live in a family. This is what it's like. We all participate in whatever way is appropriate and with, you know, a lot of a lot of grace. And, you know, I had this moment last week with Solomon and he was not, and sometimes this happens to me as a parent, if I'm activated, if my parts are on, I can't see clearly, you know, and what was needed in that moment was actually for me to step in and go clean up X, Y, and Z. But I was like really focused on him doing it. And then Nick kind of tapped me on the shoulder and was like, hey, babe, he actually can't do that right now. This is what he needs. And I was like, oh my God, thank you. You know, and I think that's also the kind of beauty of having a partner who, you know, we've built this trust with. I can go, oh, okay, thank you for like just gently kind of nudging me and being like, hey, this that's not, that's not the way. There's just so much in that, you know, and so much in being able to like, receive that and hear that not as a judgment or a criticism on me, but just as really trying to be helpful, you know, and trying to like be in the spirit of cooperation and trying to help rather than trying to like tell me I'm doing something wrong, which is often how I hear things (laughs) or often how those parts hear things I should say. It's like, oh, I'm not doing the right thing, right? Hi, we're going to take a short break from this conversation so that I can share a brief selection from one of my newest essays on Substack. The title of this essay is Expanding Your Capacity. This season of my life has been one invitation after the next to keep stretching, to keep reaching, to keep digging deeper than sometimes feels possible in a moment. And yet it is possible. I am resourced. Not as much as I would like to be, that is for sure but I do have internal and external resources, many of which I didn't even know I had until I became a parent. Resources that were there all along, waiting for me to claim them, waiting for me to take responsibility for my actions and behaviors, waiting for me to notice them. The call of a hawk, the smell of damp soil, the moonrise over our deck. In the words of Dr. Becky, my favorite child psychologist, Two things are true. I feel like I have nothing, and I can find more. If you enjoyed this piece of writing, I invite you to become a paying subscriber to the Deeper Call Substack. Please find the link in our show notes. Let's get back to our episode. I mean, so much of this is in figuring out like how to continue to be in relationship with one another. Mm. 
you know, and I think it's like, if, if I were living in a house with three roommates, like we would have, I hope we would have like some idea of what everyone's boundaries are and what everyone's needs are and how to attend to those things and all of that. And I, I oftentimes think of, you know, living with my kids and my husband in that context. Like I want to make sure that everyone's needs are being met, not at the sacrifice of my own. I want to make sure that there's space for everybody. Again, not at the sacrifice of my own space. Like how do we all do this together in a way that works for all of us, knowing that the responsibility of all of it falls on the adults in the house and not on the kids, right? So like the responsibility of maintaining this like safe space falls on me and my husband and not on our kids, but they are an active participant in it. And what that means like at different stages of their life, like what that means for them at six and eight looks vastly different than what it meant for them at two and four you know, or at one in three, or when we had a newborn and a not even two-year-old, you know? Mm, I love that piece, just that distinction that you made so clearly about the responsibility of you and your husband. You know, it's like, what's the responsibility of the parents and of the kind of adults in the house? And that is, yeah, I just feel like that's so healing and so needed to like, I think for my, you know, my partner and I talk about this a lot, both being parentified really young and both coming from the kind of situations that we came from, it's like there was a, there's been a lot of confusion <laughs> around what's our, my responsibility and what is our children's responsibility. And as it turns out, as you so beautifully articulated, actually, none of it's their responsibility, which I still have parts that are like integrating around because it's like, are you sure? Because <laughs> I think this other stuff is their responsibility. And Nick and I you know, have these conversations a lot. And it's like, wow, there's so much deprogramming. There's so much like reorganizing and shifting that has to happen around that. And I think about Dr. Becky's work a lot, and she always talks about like referring to parents as like sturdy leaders. And I love that language. It's like, who's the sturdy leader? And I think for so long, even in that, like the early years of parenting, I was waiting for somebody else to show up, like who's coming to save us all, you know? And then it's like that moment of, oh shit, it's me. Oh my God, it's me. Fuck, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That, Ashley, I have this moment that like so clearly stands out to me. We had had our first son. We had just come home from the hospital and we like come home with this little jaundiced baby. And I had had such a hard like labor. We were in the hospital for five days, all this stuff. And we had so much help and support. It was like, he was the first grandson on my side of the family. Like we had tons of visitors at the hospital. We walk back into our apartment and my husband and I just look at each other and we're like, what the fuck do we do now? Like who's coming to help us now? And we're like, nobody, there's no one here. And we were just like, what do we like? What do you mean? Like, what is this? It's two o'clock in the afternoon. We're just here, like, with this baby, and that's it. Like, this is it. And just the like shock and fear and surprise and overwhelm in that moment of, oh my God, it's us. Like, we're the ones who have to actually do this now. Like, there's no mom here. There's no, like, I'm the mom. You're the dad. There's no nurse here to help us. Like, it's just us. I laugh at it now. In the moment, I think I was crying. Like I was just so overwhelmed and didn't know what to do. But yeah, there's like this moment, you know, the series of moments maybe even where you're like, okay, so when's the grown up getting here? Like when is the, when is the actual adult getting here? Who's going to fix all of this for us? And then you realize like, oh fuck, that's me. Oh gosh. That's, that's so, that is so real. <laughs> and I love what you said, a series of moments. I think that's it's definitely been a series of moments for sure <laughs> for sure yeah 
And I'm sure it'll continue. I can't even imagine what it's like to parent teenagers. Like that is that just feels so far away. And I know that it's not that far away, but I'm sure it's going to come with its own series of like what the fuck moments of how is this my life and when is the actual grown up showing up. <laughs> I know I have friends with kids at so many different ages, like kids about your age, kids who are older, kids who are heading off to college soon, and yeah, it's so different at every stage and every season. Mm. There was this quote that I wanted to read. It was actually something I pulled off. Somebody shared it on Instagram. I don't even know who it comes from. So if someone's listening and you know where this comes from, please feel free to let, let me know. But it just, I read it and it, it was really tying into, it's tied into just a lot of what we've talked about today. And it says, home is not where you were born. Home is where all your attempts to escape yourself cease. And yeah, I just wanted to pull that in as we're kind of wrapping up the conversation and as we're, you know, looking at transitioning, just, I feel like it, and not to like, that. not that our conversation needs to be wrapped up all neatly in a bow, but just as this way to just really continue mm-hmm. to honor what we've been talking about, just really making room for all aspects of ourselves to come to the table with ourselves, with our kids, with our loved ones. You know, the folks in our communities, like how do we continue to integrate and continue to show up? And, you know, like you so articulate, you just so beautifully said in the beginning, like just do the best we can each day, right? With everything, all the things that we have going on. And to just, I loved what you said too. It's like on those nights when you're not getting enough sleep or nights when the kids are up or nights when you're just up ruminating, you know, for those of you who don't have kids, it's like how. How can we practice being more gentle and more soft with ourselves? Finding those soft landings. Mm-hmm. It's been just so expansive and nourishing and reparative and joyful to sit with you today, Sahar. You're just such an incredible woman, and I'm so grateful for our time together. (laughs) The feeling is so mutual. Thank you for tuning in to The Deeper Call today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your communities. This is one of the most impactful ways you can support this podcast and ensure that I get to keep creating it. I also want to thank Softer Sound Studio for editing and producing the show, Marbury Co. for the artwork, and East Forest for the music. Your support and presence is so appreciated. Thank you for listening to The Deeper Call.